0: It's now my honour to introduce our guest today, Mayor Nahid Nenshi. As you know, Mayor Nenshi is Calgary's 36th mayor. He's currently serving his second term in office. When Mayor Nenshi was first elected, I'll admit that some of us in Toronto were a bit surprised and envious that our brethren (laughs) in Calgary had made such a progressive choice. For starters, Mayor Nenshi is a distinguished academic and an author. Prior to becoming mayor, he was Canada's first tenured professor in the field of nonprofit management at Mount Royal University's Bissett School of Business. He holds degrees from the University of Calgary and the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. And he was the lead author of a book, Building Up, Making Canada Cities Magnets for Talent and Engines of Development. In addition to being a leading urbanist and public intellectual, Uh, Mayor Nenshi has strong business experience, having worked as a consultant at McKinsey & Company. As if that weren't enough, Mayor Nenshi is so personable that he's been described by the National Post as the cuddly creature in charge of Calgary. (laughs) (laughs) And I think he's probably the only mayor in the world with a gourmet donut named after him. (laughs) Not just any donut, but the hipster's preferred choice, salted caramel.
1: You can get it here.
0: Can you? Okay, well, I'll have to get the tip later on where to go. Mayor Nanshi serves at a time when Calgary is facing significant challenges. We look forward to hearing about some of those challenges and Mayor Nanshi's plan to overcome them. Thank you for having taken the time to come speak to us today. Mayor Nanshi.
1: Well, Thanks very much, Andrea. What a pleasure to spend some time with you. Um, Before I begin, I think we have a short video presentation. I say stuff like that, and magic just happens on the tech side. So let's see if it works.
2: Right here is where I live. It's where I breathe.
1: It's where I feel every moment go. I swear I've come To feel the sun And the freedom of the
2: sand So And now
1: love it for many, many reasons, um, because it gives you a sense of my place, of Canada, of what we are, of who we are as a community. And also, as you are watching it very, very carefully, you'll see that it also shows you the truth of, about Calgary, which is that everyone in Calgary is extremely young, extremely beautiful, <laughs> and mostly white. So... <laughs> I do tease my colleagues in Calgary Economic Development about that last bit on that video every now and then, but it is a great pleasure for me to be here with you today, and a special thanks to a great Calgary company, Enbridge, uh, for sponsoring today. So thank you through you to your colleagues. I was just saying to Melanie, she uh, works at Enbridge in Toronto, so she doesn't really work at Enbridge, but uh, <laughs> just two million customers here in Ontario, right? <clears throat> So I wanna actually spend some time with you today in the limited time we've got to talk about two Calgaries that you've heard of, two Calgaries that you've seen a lot of in the news today. And my goal is to chat a little bit about that and then have some opportunity to have some dialogue with you uh, at the end. I should warn you that I have been mayor for exactly four years. Saturday was my fourth anniversary uh, as mayor of Calgary. uh, And in every one of the hundreds of public addresses I've done In that time, I've started every single one by saying, we're going to have lots of time for dialogue at the end, because I'll just speak for a short period of time. I have yet to succeed in doing that, but maybe here at the Empire Club, there'll be a first for everything. And a special thanks uh, to the Empire Club as well. It's a great honour for me to be on this illustrious and historical podium, 111 years of people thinking and speaking and engaging dialogue with the community, which is wonderful. I do think it's interesting because I saw the little brochure that you had at your table that says, conversations with power. And one of the things I may talk about is the lack of power that cities and mayors have. (laughs) But before I do that, I wanna tell you a story. And I wanna start out just by telling you a little bit of story. It's a story about a few days in my life, a story about a few days in the life of my city, a story about a few days in the life of this nation. And it's a story that tells us a lot about who we are as Canadians, who we are as Calgarians, and what we do for one another to build our communities, how everyday people doing everyday things with their everyday hands can make enormous change in our community. And it's a story that, like all good stories, starts in Toronto. June 2012, 2013. June 2013. Wednesday night, I fly in from Ottawa to Toronto, I've just been speaking in Ottawa to a bunch of people, uh, students and federal civil servants and politicians about the future of our nation. I'm flying into Calgary, uh, into Toronto I should say, to continue my speeches. I'm picked up at the Toronto airport by my friend Allison. Her full name is Alison Loates. Alison has just written a brilliant book called Tragedy in the Commons. It's about the federal government. It's a horror story. You must read it. It's the best political book written in many, many, many years in Canada. But, Alison is getting married on Saturday. And I am very proud of myself because I have managed to arrange my speaking tour in Toronto such that my last speech ends at 11.30 p.m. on Friday. And then I'm going to rent a car and drive to St. Catharines, Ontario for Allison's wedding and I'm going to have a weekend off. And I am very excited about my weekend off. My first weekend off in months, it's probably gonna be my last weekend off until Christmas. So I am thrilled, I am going for it. She picks me up from the airport and I say to her, Allison, I am amazed that three days before your wedding you are able to spend a little bit of time with me. And she says, Nahid, I am amazed that with your schedule you're able to come to my wedding. And I look her in the eye and I say, "Allison, nothing on earth could prevent me from coming to your wedding. And at that exact moment, the rain begins to fall in a town called Canmore upstream of Calgary. I miss the wedding, I've got to rush back home. And when I get back home on Friday, Well, I get back home on Thursday night, I took this picture on Friday from a helicopter. I didn't have time to think about, oh, I'm in a helicopter, that's cool. (laughs) It was in fact the second or third helicopter I'd been in that day. One of the helicopters I was in that day was with the Prime Minister and the Premier. If you look at the top of your screen, that's the south bank of the Bow River. Calgary's founded at the confluence of two rivers, the Bow and the Elbow, yes, I know that's funny. And in June 2013, both of those rivers simultaneously experienced the worst flooding in our memory. The Bow River, which you're looking at right there, on a nice summer's day, will typically run at about 300 cubic meters per second. What you're looking at is the Bow River running at close to 2,400 cubic meters per second. The Elbow River is controlled by a dam which forms the Glenmore Reservoir, a great recreational facility we have in Calgary. So the Elbow River is very, very, very placid. You will have seen in the video pictures of people rafting down the bow, which is one of the great pleasures of Calgary in the summer. The Elbow is very placid, and people will float down it on air mattresses and wading pools, uh, Canadian Tire $10 rafts. It normally runs on a June day at about 30 cubic metres per second. At the time that I took this photo, the Elbow River was running not at 30 cubic meters per second, but 700. So at the top of your screen, the south bank of the Bow River in the community of Boness, you see canals that used to be roads. You see patches of trees. Well, those are people's houses. And you see a lot of devastation. The reason that I show you this particular photo, though, is not what's at the top of your screen, but what's at the bottom of your screen. And you'll notice at the bottom of your screen, the north bank of the Bow River, the community of Montgomery. And you'll see that the streets are dry. The basements are clear. That's nature. No matter how sophisticated we think we are, no matter how urban or urbane or cosmopolitan we are, no matter how much we control the elements around us and control the world in which we live, that's nature. One bank of the river completely devastated, the other bank of the river completely dry. We were lucky in one way. And we were lucky because we were able to see the water recede quite quickly. One of the interesting things about Calgary is if you are in Manitoba, let's say, in the springtime, you can see a flood coming. You have warning before your river's crest. In Calgary, we're very close to our headwaters. We're close to the mountains. So there's very little warning, but it also means that the water clears relatively quickly. Early in the the crisis, we made two important decisions. The first important decision had to do with communications. And it was that anything that we knew, everybody would know. Unless there was a compelling public safety reason to hold information back, the public would learn everything we knew when we knew it, and we would use every possible medium in order to get that information out to them. If there was ever a reason to hold back information, then that decision had to involve me personally, and we had to have a discussion about it, and we never did. We never actually held anything back. The second decision that was very controversial in emergency management, but I think critical, came as the waters receded. And as the waters receded, we realized that there was a very human need for people to see their homes, to see what damage there was, if any, to make plans for the upcoming weeks and months for themselves and for their families. The problem was that we really couldn't let people back in their homes until every home had been inspected. Keep in mind that this was a giant evacuation, probably the largest peacetime evacuation in Canadian history, 35,000 homes, 100,000 people. So how are we gonna do that? Well, what we did is we defaulted back to my core political philosophy. People always ask me if I'm left-wing or right-wing and I always say, I don't know what those things mean because I don't know what those things mean. But I do have a core political philosophy and my core political philosophy is just this. People aren't stupid. Citizens are inherently smart. Citizens are inherently good. Citizens will do the right thing. So we made a simple decision, and the simple decision was to let everyone go home. But in return for letting them go home, we had a little bit of a deal that we made with them. And the deal was that if you want to go home, the first thing you have to do is stop by your local community centre, pick up some basic supplies and a checklist of things to do. If you go to your house and there's water on the road on your street, don't go any further. If you make it up your walkway and there's no water on the walkway, you can enter. If there's water on the main floor, don't go in. If there's water in the basement above the level of the lowest electrical outlet, leave immediately. And in one fell swoop, we created 35,000 home inspectors. And people were able to go home, figure out what the damage was, and make the plans that they needed to plan. And there was a lot to plan. Images like this became extremely common throughout the city. And I want you to think about this image a little bit. What are you looking at here? You're looking at a house, a nice house, with a giant pile of trash out front. But it's way, way, way more than that. Because that trash, well, that's your kids' report cards. It's the artwork that was on the fridge. It's the couch that you saw in a catalog and you scrimped and saved for, because you wanted that exact couch. It's your photo albums, it's teddy bears. That's your life. That's your life piled up on your front lawn, waiting for my colleagues who drive the garbage trucks to come and take it away. And when we are in decision-making roles, when we are lucky enough to be able to hold the future of our community in our hands, these are the things that we have to remember that these are people's lives. And at this point we were thinking, well, we are in a point where a lot of people in our community are gonna feel like this is the worst point in their life. That this is a point where they've lost everything. But we learned two important things during the flood, two important lessons that I'd like to share with you today. The first was that we are incredibly lucky in this country, in my province, in my city, we are incredibly, incredibly lucky to live in a place where government works. Where dedicated public servants go to work every single day to keep us safe, and to keep our communities running, and to make it better, and even horrible politicians can't screw it up. (laughs) It's an important thing. And during the crisis, certainly our federal government, and particularly the women and men of the Canadian Armed Forces, and we think of them today more than ever, and our thoughts and prayers are with them, did an incredible job. The provincial government did everything they needed to do but if I may you have an election coming up on Monday so I hear (laughs) and I want to tell you something at the City of Calgary I have 20,000 colleagues 20,000 people who go to work every single day they drive our buses they keep our water safe In keeping our water safe, they gave us a privilege that a billion people in the world do not have, and that is clean, fresh, safe water every minute of every day. And by the way, during the flood, we never had a boil water advisory. They fix our roads. They look after our parks and our recreation spaces. They are the first on site when there's an emergency. They keep us safe every day. And if I may, God bless the garbage men driving those giant trucks up and down the flood impacted streets for 17, 18, 19 hours a day, just trying to bring a bit of normalcy and a bit of cleanliness back to the community. We are very, very lucky that we live in a place where public service is an honorable profession and people go to work in it every single day, and we should be grateful for that. This picture that you're looking at now is our LRT system. Hey, did you know LRTs work? Anyway... (laughs) You may have seen photos, uh, the most successful LRT system in North America, by the way. You may have seen photos of this particular tunnel after the flood. It looked like a roller coaster. And those dedicated public servants and their private contractor partners you see in the photo rebuilt the entire tunnel, one and a half kilometers of track, in under 10 days to open it in time for the Calgary Stampede. They're standing in front of a road called McLeod Trail, one of the major arteries in Calgary. McLeod Trail was gone. It had disappeared into a sinkhole. They rebuilt McLeod Trail in one day. As we finish summer construction season, that may lead to an interesting question in many of your minds. (laughs) If you can rebuild an entire road in one day... That question does not have a good answer, I'm sorry to say. I keep asking it, and it does not have a good answer. But I know that none of my colleagues in the public service would begrudge me if I said that our job as public servants is made so much better and so much easier by the quality of the public whom we serve. When I arrived from Toronto on that Thursday night, I walked into the Emergency Operations Centre. Now I want you to imagine every movie you've ever seen about NASA and mission control. That's the Emergency Operations Center. A giant video wall showing everything from live traffic cameras to helicopter pictures to graphs showing the water and where it's going and to-do lists and work plans for the people in the room and something called the common operating picture which is this amazing map that aggregates all the data from all the different systems at the city so you can see which traffic lights are out where the power is out all in one place it's pretty amazing and in front of that video wall are about a hundred cubicles and every one of those cubicles is labeled with an agency like the fire department or the police service or water or the Building Owner and managers Association, or Alberta Health Services, or the Canadian Armed Forces. They're all in the room together, and it's like a giant game of public servant (laughs) whack-a-mole. I'm there in the middle of the night, and someone jumps up and says, we need to evacuate a building in Chinatown. And the police jump up and say, I can have people there in 10 minutes. And Calgary Transit jumps up and says, it'll take me 15 minutes to get a bus there. And emergency social services jumps up and says, mm, it's the middle of the night, it might take me a while to find a Chinese translator, but I can probably find one in half an hour. And someone else jumps up and says, forget that, I speak Cantonese, I'm on my way. That's what was happening. And in the middle of all of that, we started to get flooded, ha, uh-huh, with offers of help from regular citizens. Remember that even at the height of the crisis, only 10 to 12% of Calgary was underwater. So 85, 90% of the city was unaffected. And those people were saying, what can we do? How can we help? And so right away in the middle of that chaos in the Emergency Operations Center, I pulled aside a few people and I said, listen, your job is to manage the volunteer response. Figure out what we're gonna do with the volunteers when it's safe to deploy volunteers. And much as I love public servants, sometimes they get, well, a little bit public servanty, And they immediately set out to fighting with one another. My big mistake was inviting the lawyers to the conversation. Sorry, Andrea. Municipal lawyers are a very special breed. Let's just put it that way. And they were filled with questions. What about liability? What if someone gets hurt? What if they don't know what they're doing? What if they can't actually help? How are we gonna transport people to the evacuated areas? What are we gonna do? And they continue to fight for the next 24 or 48 hours. Come Sunday night, I finally decided I need to leave the Emergency Operations Center for a little while and get some sleep. So in the wee hours of Monday morning, Sunday night, I went home to get some sleep. I woke up a few hours later and I hear on the radio The city of Calgary would like to invite anyone who wants to volunteer to come meet at McMahon Stadium in two hours. And I sit up in bed and go, what? Where did that come from? And I phone and I said, what is happening? And they said, well, after you left last night, we were still fighting and we figured we'd better just get started. So we've invited people to come to McMahon Stadium, we'll deploy them from there. And I said, okay, that's all well and good, but were you planning on telling anybody? Because you've given people two hours notice on a Monday morning to show up. Nobody is going to come. And they said, well, your worship, that's kind of on purpose. Because we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) And so if a couple hundred people show up this morning, we'll process them. We'll figure out what we're doing. We'll be ready for a bigger onslaught tomorrow morning. And I said, okay. Except nobody's going to come. You haven't given them any notice. 30 or 40 people are going to show up. I suppose I better go over there and actually say thank you to the 30 or 40 people who show up. So that's what happened when I got there. Thousands and thousands of people, some in coveralls and work boots, some in tank tops and flip-flops showed up. There was no PA system. (laughs) So I arrived, and one of my colleagues from Calgary Emergency Management was standing on a folding table, attempting to yell at the crowd. And then and only then I had an idea, and for the first time I actually added value. And the idea was that I had borrowed a vehicle from the fire chief the day before so that I could get into some of the evacuated areas. By the way, I still have it. Which tells you a lot about asset management in the fire department. Every time I make that joke, the fire chief jumps up and says, actually, it tells you way more about the fact that no one can say to the mayor, give me back my car. All right. (laughs) So, The reason I borrowed the car, of course, is because it had sirens and lights. And then I realized, well, if it has sirens and lights, then it must have that thing you never wanna hear when you're driving down the street late at night, the voice of God, (laughs) pull over now. So I climb up on the table, I lean into the driver's side window, I pull out the radio, there's a horrible photo of me yelling into this thing. And I go to address the crowd. Meanwhile, Jason, my colleague who had been on the table before me, is now at the bottom yelling up at me. And he says, send them home. (laughs) And I said, what? And he said, we've run out of forms. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. Look at the guy in the gray t-shirt right in the front center of the screen. See, he's got a form. (laughs) And so I take a deep breath. And I look out at the crowd. Visions of municipal lawyers dance in front of my eyes. (laughs) I swallow hard, and I say, all right, folks, we've run out of forms. (laughs) There's no more room on the buses. But you're all here for one reason alone, and you're all here because you want to help. So help. Just go. You know what neighborhoods have been badly impacted. Just go. And when you get there... It'll be obvious what you can do. You may have to go door to door, I bet you won't. Just go. And what resulted from that was the most remarkable example of humanity, of resilience and of power of everyday people that I have ever been fortunate enough to see in my life. Volunteers all came together throughout the community doing hard, backbreaking work for strangers, for people they didn't even know. This is my favorite shot of that. I love this shot for so many reasons. These young people have been working incredibly hard in the house of someone they have no idea whose house it is that they're working in. They are filthy, and by the time the water got into that basement, it was not crystal clean glacier water anymore. They smelled bad. They're exhausted, but they're smiling. And the reason I love this picture is because I love the fact that their hands are clean and that they're eating hamburgers. And the hamburgers are the real reason that I love this picture so much. Because the hamburgers remind me that every single person in the community figured out what they could do in order to help out. Some did back-breaking labor. Across the whole city, children set up lemonade stands to raise money for flood relief. Oh my God, I drank a lot of lemonade. Uh, lucky I like lemonade or they'd bring food to the volunteers. This photo always reminds me of the story of a woman I call Sam's mom. She's more than Sam's mom, her name is Lori, she's a fully realized human being. But when I met her, she thought of herself largely as Sam's mom. And in their little house on 4th Street, they had stripped it down to the studs. And she said to me, you know, Mayor, I don't have anything in my house. I don't have a stove, or a fridge or cabinets or plates, it's all gone. I don't have any way to prepare meals for my family. But you know what, Mayor? Tonight for dinner, we had hot shepherd's pie. And I think a lot about that shepherd's pie when I'm having a rough day. I think about the hands that made it, that boiled the potatoes and peeled them and mashed them that put the mixture into the casserole dish and covered it with tin foil and thought just for a second, I am never gonna see my casserole dish again, <clears throat> but it doesn't matter because somewhere out there, there's a family that hasn't had a hot meal in days and they need to get the shepherd's pie while it's still hot. I think about that a lot. And I think about people who thought they were at the absolute bottom People who felt that they'd lost everything. And the shepherd's pie wasn't about shepherd's pie. It wasn't about getting a hot meal for the first time in days. The shepherd's pie was about remembering that we live in a community, that we live in a community where people look after one another, where we catch those who stumble and we put them back on their feet and we help them live a better life in a community where we understand that our neighbor's pain is our pain as much as our neighbor's success is our success and that we can work together to do extraordinary things, everyday people using their everyday hands, doing everyday things to make extraordinary change in our community. About a week later, I found myself in the community of Ness, the community you saw on the very first slide. And just up from the bridge on on the street, Bow Crescent, that you saw incredibly flooded, in the fourth house up from the Hextall Bridge in the new park, I met a couple Who were back in their house they were super happy to be back in their house but they had had four feet of water on the main floor everything in the house was gone i'm sure they were sleeping in hammocks but they had found a piece of plywood in their basement and on that piece of plywood they had scrawled a message and they had stuck it to the tree out front And of everything I saw during that flood, of the devastation of the rivers running higher and faster and angrier than everything I've ever seen before, of the people who had lost so much, the one thing I remember more than anything, the one thing I will never forget, is that sign that they nailed to that tree on that piece of plywood. Because that's who we are. That's who we are as Canadians, it's what we do. And that's, I think, the thing that we must remember. And that's really the first part of the conversation that I wanna have with you today about Calgary, about what we do for one another in times of crisis. And the question that I ask myself that I hope all of you ask yourselves is this, that power, that resilience, that humanity that comes out during crisis, how do we take that power and resilience and humanity and apply it to poverty, to homelessness, to environmental justice, to economic prosperity, How do we take that power that we know exists and use it to make our communities better every single day? What we know is that building strong communities builds a great nation. And that building strong communities means that no matter what is thrown at you, you have resilience, and you are able to move on that resilience. And that's the second part of Calgary I wanna talk to you about today. The second Calgary that you've seen in the news And that is the Calgary that is the economic engine and the driver of this country's economy. And I don't want to go too much in on it. I will do a lot while I'm here in Toronto, but not so much with you guys today. But I do want to tell you a little bit about where we are right now. Right after the flood, we launched a campaign that you might have seen called We're Open. YYC, Open for Business. And there are some folks who think we're still underwater. We're not still underwater. We're mostly back up again. But even with that flood, even with that disaster, Calgary had the strongest urban, has had the strongest urban economy in Canada during the last decade. We're gonna stay on top according to every forecast at least until 2017. 2017, by the way, is when my second term as mayor ends. So after that, <laughs> who knows, I may be back again. 10% of all jobs in Canada last year were created in the Calgary region. It's amazing for a place that has a population of 1.2 million dollars, I'm million people rather, less than 4% of our population. We do have a chronic labor shortage. That's one of the reasons I'm in Ontario right now. We are expected to increase the demand for workers in Calgary by 200,000 by 2020. So I'm here talking to a lot of young people, I am trying to steal your children um, about considering great job opportunities in Calgary because I think that we as Canadians Owe it to ourselves to ensure that Canadians have great jobs in Canada, that they have wonderful opportunities in this country. I'm very pleased about the diversity of our economy. I will always, One thing that always shocks people in Toronto is how Calgary has become increasingly a major global financial centre. Every investment bank in the world has offices in Canada. Two of the largest banks in the world have opened up branches in Calgary. Um, In the time since I've been mayor, the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China and the Bank of China, we're excited to have them there. I am waiting and I see some bankers in the room today and a couple that I know pretty well. I keep saying that I'm waiting to see which of the five Canadian banks will be the first to move their headquarters to Calgary. Three of them have the names of other cities in their name, but that's okay, we'll take them anyway. I was with one of them the other day and I said, Calgary Imperial Bank of Commerce, nice ring to it. Anyway, but that is very true. You'll be interested to know this. Most people don't. Canada is a major energy player in the world, but not really that big. Three to four percent of world energy production, oil and gas production, comes from Canada. But anywhere between 12 and 20 percent of the M&A deals actually come through Canada. We punch way above our weight in the energy financial sector, and most of that work is in Calgary. And so this is actually a very interesting thing. When the Chinese National Overseas Oil Corporation, CNUC, bought Nexen, you'll remember that story. If you talk to the CNUC executives and you say, why did you buy Nexen? They'll say, well, you know, we love the company, we love the people, we love the assets at Nexen. But in reality, we needed to have a presence in Calgary. We need to be part of the deal flow that goes through that city every day because we needed to be part of understanding that to be a fully integrated global energy company. Another thing that'll surprise you, Calgary has the largest number of tech startups per capita in Canada, not Waterloo, not Toronto, Uh, 5,300 tech companies, and we're attracting people from around the world. Why does that work? And this is where I'll finish. People in Toronto are always surprised and uh, I love to remind people in Toronto, because it always surprises people, that the Alberta oil sands, not actually located in Calgary. <laughs> Let you think about that for a minute. The Calgary Tower, not actually an oil derrick. In fact, the oil sands are pretty far away. For me to fly to the oil sands takes almost as much time as for me to fly to Toronto. So that should lead, to, except it straight north. So that should lead to an interesting question in your minds. If they're so far away and you've got to fly there, then why are all those head office jobs in those glittering office towers in downtown Calgary? They could be here, but more likely they could be in New York or Houston or Shanghai or Dubai. Why are they in Calgary? Simple reason. People like to live there. And people like to work there. And people like to invest there because it's a terrific place to live and work and invest. And that means that the kind of investments that we make in the urban fabric, in things like art and culture and sport and recreation and a great public transit system, did I mention LRT's work? (laughs) And vibrant public spaces. All of those are not soft investments. Those are hard-edged economic development investments in building a community that will attract that top graduating environmental engineer from Shanghai when she's thinking about where she wants to live in the world, to have Canadian cities on her agenda is something we must do as a nation. And that's why making investments in our urban fabric and in our cities is incredibly important. But there's more to it than that. It's not just the Rocky Mountains nearby, which are awesome, or the Alberta Ballet, which is amazing. It is, in fact, about a certain spirit and a certain, a certain understanding of who we are as a community. And sometimes I use the word meritocracy to describe that. Calgarians have never believed or cared about where you went to school or who your daddy is or what your last name is. What we care about is, are you smart? Are you willing to work hard? Do you bring the best of you to the table? And if so, we as a community, just like we have a responsibility to help people succeed at times of loss, have a responsibility to help you succeed in business. And that, for me, is the most important thing we can do. We're very lucky here in Canada. We're very, 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 very lucky to live in the best place in the world, and the reason it's the best place in the world is because we have created a society, and you see it nowhere more than you do in Calgary. We've created a society where it doesn't matter, where whatever you look like, wherever you came from, however you worship, Whomever you love, every single person in every single corner of our community has the opportunity, right here, right now, to live a great Canadian life. That is a big deal. It is something that is not true in most places in the world. And together, everyday people using our everyday hands, we have to continue to fight for that promise in our community in Calgary in Alberta and throughout this great nation to fight for that promise that every single person will continue to have the ability to live right here, right now, that great Canadian life. And I hope that all of you will continue to fight for that for everyone. Thank you very much. We probably have time for two questions. Oh, sit down. We have time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am am abusing the generosity of my host who needs a few minutes at the end here to wrap up. But we have time for a couple of quick questions. As you can tell, I am the master of the soundbite. I'm very good at answering questions very fast. That is a lie. But we have time for a little bit of dialogue. So questions, thoughts, comments, you can ask me anything except who to vote for on Monday. And there are mics in the audience. Yes. Thank you very
2: much for what I heard today. It is the essence of the word community. It means C-O-M-M-O-N dash U-N-I-T-Y. U-N-I-t-y. Mm. I've never heard of it so expressed. Thank you. My question to you, could you give an insight or was there anything in your moral judgment about being a of that greatest world institution, the British Empire.
1: (laughs) It is, after all, the Empire Club of Canada. But I actually am really glad you raised that. You know, my family came from Tanzania and certainly found, I was just talking to my uncle about this this week who was visiting me uh, from Los Angeles uh, for a family wedding. And he talked about his difficulty when he immigrated and had the exact same discussion with an immigration officer in the UK. And he said, I am from a Commonwealth country. Why are you treating me like this? And a lot of us have had similar situations like that, but I wanna be a bit broader about it, in that we're lucky that we were raised in this community or have come to this community where we share these common human values. But I'll go even further than that. And I'll say that as I ended my conversation with you today with, The power of our community is in the welcoming of people to share opportunity here, regardless of what they look like or where they come from. But you know what? we got to fight for that every day. It's easy to lose it. And it's important for us to fight against the forces of racism and bigotry and small-mindedness and intolerance wherever we find them. We have to say to politicians who would try to use wedge issues to divide us that that is not acceptable. I'm very happy that the people of Quebec punished a provincial government that attempted to do that in what I call the Charter of Racism, a charter that in Canada in the 21st century said there are certain jobs you can't do because of your faith, but I'm angry that others in our community did not speak out more loudly against that, saying that is social suicide for this nation, that we need to continue to fight those forces wherever we find them, and we need to continue to create opportunity wherever we find it. So now you've gotten me on my soapbox. (laughs) So I'm going to say one other thing. There's a lot of business leaders in the room here today, and I'm going to give you all a challenge. I want you to go back to work this afternoon, and I want you to call your HR departments at Enbridge, at TELUS, at the big banks. And I want you to ask them a very simple question. In your criteria for screening people who come to work, do you use the words Canadian experience? And if they say yes, and by the way, they will say yes, tell them to remove it. Tell them to open their minds and make sure that your companies become the companies of choice to create opportunity and good jobs for new Canadians and for our First Nations brothers and sisters, and make sure you do it today. Because that's how we will continue to build that opportunity for everyone in this country. And that's how the guy who works as my security guard, who has an MBA and served as the vice president of a bank in Dubai, will be able to get a job as a teller in a bank, and I guarantee you, once he gets the job as the teller, he's gonna be managing that branch in a month. But we've got to give people that first opportunity. We've got to open the door. And it's the job of those of us who have the luxury to have lunch at the Empire Club to make sure that that door gets opened.
0: One more question?
1: One last question. I could stay here all day, but I'd probably get in trouble. Any last questions? I can't actually see out there. This is a very shy group it's you've a got here, Andrea. Shy group.
0: I'm surprised that there's a question. Oh, yes. Hi. Hi. Um, Communication seems to be one of your very strong suits. I'm one of your many Twitter followers. Um, Can you talk about Twitter and how you've used that um, to get your message out there? In addition to the lost cats.
1: I'm very happy. I lost a lot of lost pets. God, people lose their pets. I've never had a pet in my life, and I just don't understand how so many go missing all the time. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, you'll understand that... 25% of my Twitter feed is lost cats, especially. Where do they go? (laughs) They all have a party somewhere. Um, But no, I ascribe to a very, very simple and very old political rule. And that rule is go to people where they live. Don't expect them to come to you. And so that means that I spend an incredible amount of my time out in the community talking to people, and I've tried to inculcate that throughout everything that we do as a city government. So to give you a simple example, we had a major new transit strategy. You guys know about new transit strategies here in Toronto. You get a new one every week, it looks like. And so we crafted our 30-year transit strategy, but I really wanted to talk to the experts, people who really understand transit. And let me tell you, I'm a public transit nut. I have taken the Pearson Rocket Express more times than I think of because I love to take transit to the airport, figure out how transit works in different cities and so on. And I got lots of people who work with me who know a lot about transit. I've got network optimization engineers and fair strategy marketing people. And I know I've got people who know how to drive trains. Did I mention LRT works? And drive buses. But we're not the experts in public transit. The experts in public transit are of course the people who take it every day. The person who takes the bus every day, well she knows how it can be better, and what's working and what isn't working. So one of the very, I'm getting to Twitter, I really am. (laughs) One of the very simple things that we did for our transit strategy is we dolled up one bus in our fleet. We called it the engagement bus. We covered it in post-it notes with markers and so on. And if you were standing waiting for the bus in the morning and the engagement bus happened to pull up, it was just at random, then you got a free ride that day. But in return for your free ride, you had to talk to the Calgary Transit managers who were on the bus about your experience with transit. So it's all about getting to people where they live. And one of the things that we've learned is increasingly a lot of people live online. And Twitter isn't just for dirty pictures and following Justin Bieber. You know, a lot of people really do engage with the community and the future of the community using that tool. And one of the things I found, ironically, is that in 140 characters, you can actually have really authentic dialogue. You can answer questions, you can push people. And if you follow me on Twitter, that's just me. I'm the only one who has the password. It's only on my phone. And I don't spend that much time on it, you'd think I did, but I don't. Because it's really short, it's really easy to answer. I don't have time to spin or to think about what I'm going to say. And sometimes that gets me in trouble because I often get into fights with people if I think they're being dumb. (laughs) Particularly if I think they're being intolerant or rude. And... Yet at the same time, it gives me an opportunity to reach directly to people. Now, I'm probably at the scale where if it was much bigger, it would be hard for me to do that on my own. I've got about almost 200,000 Twitter followers now, uh, and none of them are shy about where's my cat? (laughs) Um, And I don't know if that can be scaled any further, but for now it works fine. I spend a half hour a day before I go to bed answering people's questions, usually late at night, and uh, it is a way to really see what's going on. The other thing I really use it for is it's great for eavesdropping. So if you really want to know whether issues are resonating with people, what people are really talking about and thinking about, Spending some time to see what they're talking and thinking about online is very good as well. That said, I don't understand Snapchat. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very
0: thank much. Thank you. <applause> Ladies and gentlemen, please welp- welcome Barbara Jessen who will now thank our guest.
3: Thank you, Your Worship. I just want to say that as a new director at the Empire Club, it's a very humbling experience to have my first remarks follow Mair <laughs> uh, I don't think I am breaching any um, protocol in noting that there has from time to time been a degree of rivalry between Eastern and Western Canada with our two great titans of power, Calgary and Toronto, leading the charge. It has occasionally provoked some alarming, nation-trembling moments. And no, I'm not alluding to that now-famous battle cry suggesting that the East could face the impending winter storm without assistance from Western Canada. I reference the event that occurred in this very place, the Royal York Hotel, when in 1948 the Calgary Stampeders won the Grey Cup and supporters rode their mighty steed right into this bastion of Eastern pride. And they had the temerity to repeat the performance in 2012 at the 100th anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) The jostling for dominance by the forces of an industrial-based marketplace versus an oil-rich natural resource economy has reached epic proportions on occasion. But as Andrea alluded to, I don't think eastern envy has ever been more intense than in 2010 when Calgary elected you mayor. Four years later, Calgary has re-elected you, a man who shared a Young Leader Award from the World Economic Forum in 2011 for your innovative ideas on urban planning and who was ranked the second most important person in Canada next to the Prime Minister by McLean's 50 top Canadians for 2013. Mayor Denshi, in 2008, just two years before you were elected, the United Nations declared that for the first time in the history of mankind, we became primarily an urban species. Today, city-states are perhaps the key political force driving economic growth and social policy. Strong leadership at the municipal level has never been more important. Thank you for addressing us today, but thank you, more importantly, for being an inspiration and a role model for all Canadians. For your proud country, you've become an icon for how to do it right. Thank you.
0: So I'll close today by thanking our our very generous sponsors. Thank you to Enbridge Gas Distribution Inc. and to the Calgary and to Calgary Economic Development. I'd also like to thank the National Post as our print media sponsor. Follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Empire underscore Club and vi- visit us online at www.empireclub.org. Thank you all for coming. We hope to see you again soon at some of the exciting upcoming events described in the brochures on your table. Thank you very much.